And like, I think when you start creating a, an ecosystem that's not so much about cash for chaos, the fact that somebody benefits from that lack of information, the fact that somebody makes money off of the silos and we start valuing certainty and the predictability that data gives us, the better we will all be. And I hope the guys with the money to spend actually drive that trend. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. I'm joined today by prefabrication royalty. That's right, we are talking to none other than the queen of prefab, Miss Amy Marks herself. Amy has had an extensive career championing the use of optimized prefabrication across many building types. She is also the preeminent prefabrication consultant in the world and currently is the head of industrialized construction strategy and evangelism at Autodesk. She will also be our featured keynote at MEP Force on August 31st. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an honor. Uh, so before joining Autodesk, you were CEO of Excite Modular for almost 10 years. What, what led you to join forces with Autodesk as the head of industrialized construction strategy and evangelism? You know, I think um, being a certified small woman-owned business, I felt like we made a huge impact globally and we work with a lot of big end users, a lot of governments around the world. But in order to really scale the knowledge and work with people in a neutral fashion, you know, I looked across the industry, I met Jim Lynch and Andrew Anagnost at Autodesk and I felt like the only way to really make the impact that needs to happen on this industry was to partner with Autodesk. And I feel like we have all the right pieces and parts to make this happen, the right culture internally and, and innovation. So really, honestly, I gave up my own business so that I could impact the greater part of the industry. Um, and I'm super passionate about it. Everyone who knows me in the industry knows that that's, that's just what I'm all about. So honestly, it was a great, great move for me to go to Autodesk. And um, I'm, I'm just a much bigger platform with a lot, of, lot better resources and tools and smart people to work with. And that was the big driver for me. That's awesome. Uh, so this episode, we're going to be really breaking down all things prefabrication and uh, the, the rise of the subcontractor. And you really wanted to make sure we got voices from the industries and the other experts are around the industry as well. So we're actually, we have two special guests on the episode, uh, Bob Snyder, CEO of Vinsky Snyder, and then David Evans, Senior VP of Business Development at Star Electrical. So welcome to the show to Bob and, and David. Thanks, you guys want to give a, a quick little uh, kind of update to the audience a, a little bit about yourselves? Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, Bob Snyder, uh, I'm the CEO of Pinsky & Snyder. Really, we're a, a family mechanical contracting business. Started in 1938. Uh, my grandpa was Pinsky. Actually, my great-grandpa was Pinsky, and my grandpa was Snyder. So Pinsky wasn't around for a very long time. I think when my dad got in the business in in the early 60s, he made sure that great-grandpa was uh, sort of pushed out, and, uh, and he really built the business up through, um, through pharmaceutical work and things like that across the New Jersey landscape. That's really been primarily where we've, uh, we've had our business. Um, since then, we introduced service. We um, also have a home service business. We do about 150 to $200 million of work a year. Um, primarily, you know, it's, it's large construction projects, healthcare sector, some industrial sector. Uh, we've been involved in prefabrication and modularization and things like that probably since the late late 80s, maybe early 90s, where uh, where I opened up our first fabrication facility, which was really geared around uh, welding a chromoly pipe um, for a, for a power project. Um, and since then, we've we've tried to push this idea of pre really more prefabrication or offsite fabrication. Um, um, since then, awesome. awesome. And David, how about you? Wait a minute. And Jersey strong. Jersey, Jersey strong. Jersey you know, strong. I, too. Jersey. I, I, got, I got my peeps with me today. So look out. Oh, we're going to get double teamed here, huh? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So my, my name is Dave Evans. I'm the uh, Senior Vice President of uh, Business Development for Star Electric out of the Carolinas. We are a, uh, a pretty old company. I founded in 1928. Um, and our license number is number four, which is pretty cool, right? Um, well, we got into the modular game 
about seven years ago, and it was it was kind of almost by accident, but it's paid off some big dividends for us. Um, we had a, a, a partner of ours uh, in High Point that needed uh, electrical to do a, a major data center they just got that they were doing moderately, and uh, it's a company called Environmental Air Systems, and so they. They made a phone call and said, hey, can you guys come wire this for us? And we said, sure. Well, little did we know that that would turn into literally a, uh, a, a platform that would really change the dynamic of the construction industry for us as a whole and really be able to take our game to the next level. Um, you know, we've always been in that 100 to $130 million range as, as far as revenues go. We've got five offices, through, five offices through the Carolinas. We do a lot of pharmaceutical work. We do a lot of uh, healthcare work. We do a lot of data center work. And uh, more recently, and not probably in the last five years, the modular business has really been a big business force. And so being able to be a part of a team and being able to be bought into the industry uh, on the modular front through a company, which is now our sister company, uh, which is which has been a great, um, great process. It's been pretty neat to be able to be a part of over the last, uh, last year for sure, but uh, building some really cool stuff across the country and being able to ship it really uh, puts, helps put us on the map. Very cool. Thanks for taking that time. Uh, sure. So let's set a good baseline for, for terms in this conversation, because there's a lot of words that get thrown out there from, you know, prefabrication to offsite to DFMA, industrialized construction, and a whole host of other <laughs> names. <laughs> what do you, do you think there's actually any real kind of industry consensus on what those terms actually mean? Or are people just kind of making it up and using them incorrectly all the time? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to take this one first. So I feel that, um, by the way, Bob Snyder is going to make me look sh shy because we're all from Jersey. So just so you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like for me, industrialized construction is really the, the application of manufacturing techniques to the built environment. And that's about design, construction, operations. But then there are, you know, mega trends within industrialized construction. That's where it gets a little bit blurry, right? So you've heard just in these introductions, you heard modular, you heard offsite, you heard fabrication, you like no one said DFMA yet, which we'll get into as well in prefabrication. So the issue is, you know, it's like, what's the right terminology for the right things? And I think it not only does it vary by you know, the elements that you're talking about, the actual assemblies or the volumetric models you're talking about. Because for me, I think of prefabrication as a continuum, right? Prefabrication, just one of those mega trends um, underneath industrialized construction. There are things like robotics and automation. There are things like additive manufacturing, also trends within industrialized construction. But when you truly look down at prefabrication, and by the way, I'm the one to blame. My old company was named Excite because I love the words offsite until I realized there was prefabrication going on on site now. And so that's, it's evolving, right? So we have to, we have to recognize there's an evolution going on and a revolution really of things going on um, in industrialized construction. And, and we really need to kind of all speak the same language so that we recognize what we're all talking about. And I think, you know, probably the one now, so prefabrication to me, I just got to group everything as prefabrication and they're either like advanced building products that are reducing drying time, curing time, welding time, like Victolic is a great advanced building product. Um, or, you know, uh, things like single trade assemblies, multi-trade assemblies, um, and then you get into me, and then you're talking about volumetric modules. The one that probably bothers me the most these days, to be honest, because like I'm a stickler for these guys, like David Evans knows me very well. We've been to dinner many times and like I, I'm a stickler for language. I feel like DFMA, Designed for Manufacturing and Assembly, especially over in Europe right now, you can't just make that up as if it means prefab. Like it actually has a definition and it means like an, it's an enabling design methodology for to enable prefab. So that's probably the one that bothers me the most out of all mm -hmm. of them um, when people confuse those terms. But like, you know, again, we just, I think it's like a big word salad we have to continue to educate every single time, you know? What, but what do you think, Bob? Well, I, I think, you know, all the words you just talked about, the one that really sticking in is this idea of a revolution, right? So I think the idea of industrial industrialization construction, it's much larger than any of these terms. The industrialization of construction is truly looking at the entire built process and completely turning it upside down. And the key to all of it is truly making it design-centric. And design means really creating this idea of this 99.9% accurate model that you can replicate to the field and creating energy, which is really you're almost flipping and turning it over. So when you change more than you know, 20 or 30% of a process, 
it's not innovation anymore. You're talking about having a complete revolution when it comes to this idea of the way we build things. Right. And it really has to do with, you know, the design. We've got to design these things. And we have tools like Autodesk Produces and so many other companies that are so focused on the collaborative work that needs to be done to create the real space in the virtual space. And that's, I think, needs to be the focus of all industrialized construction. Then what comes from that is this idea of, you know, design for manufacturing assembly, design, even case design for service, design for life cycle. I mean, right. it's all the same kind of stuff, but it still is all about this idea of design. And, uh, you know, so regardless of the terms, I think people have to first wrap themselves around this idea of we're really looking to change and, and really have a revolution in the way we build things if you really want to take advantage of all of these great tools that are available to us. And the idea that, you know, production is lagged in our industry so much, and the only really way to get it to where it should be, right. is to actually have a revolution and change this built world. Right, I mean, that's honestly, the industrialized revolution topic that we're doing with the Queen of Prefab, Amy Marks, is because of that, right? So if you think about, it, this is not incremental change happening anymore. McKinsey just said, in the next 15 years, 45% of all these processes in the AEC, of the value in our industry, it's gonna move towards industrialized construction processes, 45%. Now, by the way, I think that number might be low. Right now, three quarters of all MEP subcontractors have experience with multi-trade assemblies already. And we're talking about, they're thinking 15 years. I'm talking last three years, we've already seen the majority of the industry doing this and you're doing it for 20 years. And one of the reasons why I wanted you and David to, to talk about this is you don't have to be a multi-billion dollar company to be doing prefabrication and you don't have to do it. You've been doing it for a long time. Right, so we have to move that make and operate information up into design. Right, that that's really why I came to Autodesk. We need to move that information up into design. And David, you know, I have a thing when you say modular, like you know that I have to like. I know. I know. Poker face. <laughs> it's all good. The uh, and I agree with what 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 both you and Bob are saying as a whole. I mean, I think that in order to get this thing to really to continue to grow like it's growing. I mean, it's just, it's all about creating that whole culture around the industrialized, industrialized revolution and, and being able to train folks and, and educate folks and, and give them a platform, right? And being able to to show all the benefits inside and out. And uh, I mean, you guys covered the question so good. I, I don't really have anything else to say because you guys- No, no, you do. Because think about that. What you just said is so interesting, like, right? So you're doing this for 20 years, but like, let's face facts. The only guys really recognizing much of the value right now are you guys right? Like True. you True. guys have productized things. You all have created, you know, assemblies and products that you, when you get those intent drawings, you're utilizing your best products to then fill in the, the details, but you're doing it in means and methods that are in spite of the general contractor, in spite of the architect, because that information doesn't exist up front. We're not, we're not necessarily, many people are not enabling the design through products right now. And that was the, the point of why I thought you guys would be great to be on this, right? Like, yeah. think about that from from electrical room perspective, and like all the MEP plants that you guys are doing with EAS. Those are those are truly True. products. True, absolutely, and and not sure sell, but you know, being able to go in and look at a job and be able to take it and standardize it and build it at a rap, more rapid pace, and and be able to because everybody knows manpower right now nationwide is an epidemic as well, right? And so maybe you don't have the, the four-year electrician in the factory. You keep those guys in the field, but you have helpers in the factory, right? That may be a one or two-year guy uh, to help control your workforce and your workload. So that always, that's a huge benefit for us, yeah. uh, especially try, trying to find the labor uh, because it's just, it's crazy right now, you know, countrywide. You've had, you've had a third of the people that have, uh, have retired. You've had a third of the people that have gone to a whole new industry. And then you've had a, a third of the people that are, I think the last statistic I saw was 10,000 people are, retiring every day for every 15,000 millennials coming on. Is that right? Some, something that ballpark. So it was, you know, when you look at the, that knowledge transfer and that, and that, um, that experience transfer, it's, it's tough to get if you don't have a platform like this to be able to put it in, learn fast, learn, be able to move quick and, uh, and continue to build because in the construction industry, we all know you're either going up or you're going out. Right. Right. And by the way, it's a good time. It's a good time to have that conversation for years and years. People are like, you're taking jobs off the job site with prefab. And I look around and I'm like, had we actually recognized this tsunami of lack of labor that's going to go on and increase in complexity of design, we may have like moved a little quicker, but I mean like moved a little quicker. Bob's been doing this for 20 years, right? But I would, I would tell you that probably that, that D in DFMA, that design for manufacturing, there are so few people 
that really truly understand how to utilize the products that you've created and design with those products in mind, right? Like, I, I don't know, how do you, how do you overcome that, Bob? Like you obviously, are you just keeping it all to yourself and means and methods? Like, how do we, how do we, when you move on to retire and myself and all these other guys, like, where's this knowledge going to live other than software in my mind? That's why I came here, right? Like, where is it going to live? Well, I mean, the A is Davis here, right? So it's, um, and we have to start actually recording all the, the real data that, in all these models and all of this design and all this innovation and, and try to replicate it some way um, so that people can take advantage of the whole program. Um, and there's an infinite number of products. If you really look at the, uh, the products that have been designed today for the construction industry, most of them have all been designed around field. You know, Victala comes out with innovation. They talk about how can we get a coupling saw quicker. Right. And, and, and everything's been around that. It's not been designed around, well, what about how do we, you know, have a product or we have an assembly, a standard assembly that we can, we can manufacture faster. Right. Or, or componentize. It's, you know, I go back to the, the idea that everybody wants something unique, but unique doesn't have to be volumetric unique only takes 20% difference, 15 to 20% difference for something to be unique, but all the stuff inside can still be the same, but it right. can look really unique. So we got to mm -hmm. start looking at 80% of the stuff and start creating standard products because there is somewhere the right solution or the right product for a pump skid. Yeah. Everybody's designing pump skids. There's probably just a few that are the right way to do it that are the right. most efficient, but we haven't really got there yet. Autodesk Construction Cloud helps mechanical, electrical, and plumbing contractors win more work productively every day. The world's leading specialty contractors rely on Autodesk Construction Cloud to increase collaboration, mitigate risk, and reduce rework as they deliver complex work faster. With Autodesk Construction Cloud, teams are able to win more work by tracking bid invites and managing workloads all from one place increase efficiency by standardizing on common communication and documentation processes across all projects, capture a complete history of work, and ensure fast, complete payment. For mechanical, electrical, plumbing contractors, this results in more productive field and office teams, delivering value and exceeding customer expectations and better business outcomes. Win more work, mitigate risk, ensure quality, and connect your crews all through Autodesk Construction Cloud. Learn more at construction.autodesk.com. They are also a sponsor at this year's MEP Force Virtual 2020 Conference. By the way, you know I like Mexican food. Like I'm into Mexican food. I love tacos. I love like a lot. At the end of the day, think about it like this. There's probably every cool Mexican restaurant I know has like a hundred things on their menu. And in reality, like 80% of what's going into those dishes is beans, meat, cheese, guacamole, avocado, you know, and rice and sour cream, like tortillas. That's it. There's not much else. And like, I want to leave the not much else to the artwork of design, right? It's like, no one really, do you know, I don't know many architects that actually care what's behind the wall or in an interstitial mechanical space. They don't, they're not really that interested as long as the performance meets the requirements, right? I want to enable them to be freed up to make the mole sauce if we, as we will, right? But like we say everybody wants something different, but like if you want something different, that's called in fashion couture. Like there's also reasons why the gap makes money and makes a lot of money, like even comparison to couture. You know what I mean? Like everything can't be couture. And by the way, couture has its place, but like it doesn't need to be in the 80% of everything we need to do. And, and the problem is, is that we haven't really defined what that 80% looks like. And it, it does live in places like in your shop and it does live in places like in Star Electric shop, right? It's how do we create an, a marketplace and overlay and a framework through the software to get real time connection to the products that you make. And, you know, and design, you talk about design centric, the, the way you get more efficient in the construction business is by doing lots of little teeny things. Right. It's not, there's no magical big formula. It's, it's, there's two, it's just too, too, too diverse of a space. It's instead of using a two inch pro press fitting with seven things on it, one million times, taking, saying, why don't we just T-drill that? Because that's a lot quicker when you do that in the shop. Right. And, and you just, you go through every little thing and you start designing around manufacturing because it's a different design. 
then you would design it for field assembly because you have different constraints. And it's a big deal. It makes a big difference. Well, by the way, that's the balance between DFM, design for manufacturing, right? Ease of manufacturing choices that you make as a designer and ease of assembly, right? How you're actually going to put, ship it, tra transport it, put it in place, fasten it into it. Those two things need to be balanced. And you're right. I think we've been very focused. Why? Because in our industry, no one's a manufacturer. We, we always say like, we need to be more like manufacturing. And everyone's like, yep, got to be more like manufacturing, got to be safer. And I feel like at the end of these conferences, people walk out and they're like, what's a manufacturer? You know, like they kind of don't know what a manufacturer is. So we've focused on the assembly part, which is the construction-esque more side of it. But in reality, the big gains to be made are going to be as in the article from ENR, you know, that this rise of the subcontractor needs to be based on creating products. You can only move up in the maturity stack if you get productized and get into the more defined, managed and optimized part of that maturity stack. You can only get so far with, you know, assembly, if you will, DFA, DFA, right? We have to, we have to move forward and push that information up in DFM. It's almost like, think about it. I was telling a story earlier today um, that we had a big uh, data center owner and they designed something to be prefabricated. And it was at the time, let's call it, I don't know, it was a hot aisle containment system, right? At the time. And they gave it, they made a design because they were like, we want to do prefab. And um, they gave it to their general contractor, tier one. They went to the manufacturer, built it. They wanted to do an analysis after the fact and the general contractor said, oh, it was more expensive than conventional. And the owners who happened to not be from our industry, luckily, said that seems wrong. Like we had this made, we had it manufactured. And they said, no, that's just the way it is. The contractor said prefab is just more expensive. And so they went over down, they pushed down deeper into the supply chain to the manufacturer and they went to the shop and talked to the owners of the shop and they said, why is this more expensive than like, conventional. And they said, oh, well, your design is non-standard. Like we make a standard hot aisle containment system that's very similar in performance, but you didn't design that. And if you had or wanted it, we could have done that for less money. But by the way, um, if you give us enough scale on the one that you want, we could also do that, right? Like we could change our manufacturing process and bring the cost down if we know you need 10 of them instead of one. So that's because we're not manufacturers, right? You have guys in this industry that are running the show that are contractors, Right, we have to really embrace a product-led mindset, not a project-centric cost schedule, you know, quality on projects. We have to keep, we have to take ourselves out of that and look at the long game of products, right? That's how all other industries succeed and optimize, except for us, right? Which is also why we haven't been disrupted. We don't, un it's very hard to disrupt an industry that you don't have, first of all, we're an ecosystem, not an industry where you don't have data, right? And when you one-off everything, it's very hard to collect data. Right. I mean, David, like I know when you're in, and I've been in EAS and you're, and also down to your shop at Star Electric, when I see the same things coming out over and over again, you get better at it. Right. Like it's, it's every, not like you're worse. Like, right. Every day, every day. It's, it's the, it's the result of repetition. Right. So one of our good friends that you know always replies to us the theory of constraints and reducing those. Right. So yeah. the more you do it, the quicker you get, the better you get. Right. Um, and, and it just, it's, it's a fact. You know, and, and so one of the things I, I want to get back for a second, because you mentioned, you know, they don't care about the, th the theory is they don't really worry about the MEP systems because they're in the walls. They don't see them. Right. And that's such a true statement. I had a guy, I think it was University of Nebraska Medical Center. We were at this conference and he was talking and, you know, he was talking about all these little great prefab things they were doing. They were doing some steel clusters for some of the support and they were doing, you know, bathroom pods and they were doing some, some frame wall stuff. Um, but we started talking about the MEP systems. And he goes, well, I really, the only thing I really care about is from the floor to ceiling, not from the ceiling to the floor. And I was like, oh, we, you understand, like the stuff from the ceiling to the floor is what makes everything from the floor to ceiling work, right? So that's, that's where all the bread and butter is. So a lot of people don't yeah. really think about that, right? So that's part of that culture we've got to really change and, and show people how things work. And because without us, without guys like Bob and, and us, I mean, our buildings don't work. They don't, they don't come to life, <laughs> right? They just, they're just a shell and they got cool finishes, but Right. Because there's no air, there's no electric fleet, and there's no electrical, there's nothing. There's no How do you go about changing that culture and that mindset? That is a, that's a great question. Um, personally, I believe it's, it's through education and, and proof, of, proof of existence, right? That, that you can do it over and over again, that you can take you know, things as simple as plant tours, to take them to the job sites, to show them, hey, what's being installed? Here's how we did it. Here's how much manpower we moved off site. And by the way, just because we go to modular, right, Amy? 
you know, you still you still have manpower on site, right? If I can pull 80% of the manpower off site and build a central energy plant and a factory and ship it, I still gotta have guys on site. So if somebody tells you, hey, we're gonna do 100% of this off site, it's not gonna feed anybody on site, that's, that's a farce, that doesn't work. The parts and pieces that you guys keep referring to, which I love, um, is, is where you really see the big difference in savings on, on the manpower schedule, right? And being able to ship, you know, I've got jobs that we've, we've shipped or, or have not had, we've saved 30,000 man hours or 40,000 man hours or 40% of the job because we've built these assemblies uh, offsite in, in the factory and ship them, right? And so less crowded, safer, less risk for the owner, uh, better quality product, the whole nine yards. But I, I think, you know, getting back to your original question, how do you change the industry and how do you change the dynamic? It's a plethora of things, but you really got to change the culture first and get people who really want to learn about it and know about it. And, and, uh, and then you got to make the effort to go out and do it. Hey, MEP friends, looking for a competitive edge? MEP Force is the event for you. It has become the gathering place for industry leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is that it's all industry-led and driven, meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 80 breakout sessions. So you will be getting real-life practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year, it's all virtual. So if you register now, you will have access to all the breakout sessions even after the official event is over. Go to mepforce.com to register today and use promo code BTG99 to get your ticket for only $99. Me? I mean, I think you're right on the money with culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, as they say, right? I think that was Drucker. You know, like, my feeling is this. Like, I could tell, I always say, I could give you my mom's recipe for lasagna, but your mom can't make it like my mom can. You know what I mean? Like, that's at the end of the day. You got to have that drive to do that. I personally, like, I... I've been writing a, a paper called The Innovator's Deception. Um, Peyton Christensen talked about the innovator's dilemma. I think it's been a deception for us because we're not an industry to change. We're an ecosystem. And I think it changes from the top down, not from the bottom up, yep. like you talked about in the dilemma. Because here's the issue. We've had prefabricated housing for 150 years at least, and it hadn't really changed much right, in the construction business. It's such a small percentage of what's going on in the world that at the end of the day, we've got to change this from the top down. And the top down means those companies that are coming from outside our industry that have the most to gain, that have heavy MEP integrated systems, data centers, pharma, you know, mechanical, industrial, that's where the money is. Like, you know, it's funny to hear like somebody say like, I don't care what's in the space behind the wall or above the ceiling. It's like, really? That's where your cash is. Like you just like open, I used to, when I grew up in construction, my dad used to tote me around at job sites and he would be like, look over there. And I was a little girl and I would look over, there'd be a bunch of guys standing, you know what they were doing? They were looking in the ceiling. And my dad said, every time a group of guys looks up in the ceiling, we're losing money period. Like, I don't care what it is they're talking, we are losing cash. We're bleeding cash the second they're looking up. And like, I think when you start creating a, an ecosystem that's not so much about cash for chaos, the fact that somebody benefits from that lack of information, the fact that somebody makes money off of the silos and we start valuing certainty and the predictability that data gives us, the better we will all be. And I hope the guys with the money to spend actually drive that trend because they have the most to gain. And by the way, you guys, you, you've been doing this, again, it's funny, I sat in a meeting once with an MEP subcontractor that was doing lots of prefab and a COO of one of the tier one contracting businesses. And he said, well, if they're all making money at this, how come I'm not? And I said, why should you? You do like nothing but make it harder for them. You should, they should be taking money of your fees. You make it harder for them to do this. They're doing it in spite of you. If you, an if you became an integrator, like I think that's good. Like. You know, Bob, like we've talked a lot about role changes. If you change your value proposition and you started enabling and integrating this stuff, then sure, you should share in the value. But currently you make it harder, right? Like how many general contractors make it harder for you? Mm, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was so oh, not true to you. I'm glad you asked that. That's why it's only a lot because we don't really talk about that sort Right. But it's... Listen, the, the rules have to change. It's all about healthy teams. It's all about let's. It's about capitalizing on the knowledge. We we can't be so um, you know we we can't think of it in terms of threats. 
I mean, there's, this is an extremely con complex landscape. And as life goes on, things get more specialized, right. more knowledge has, has to be, and there's so much out there. And when you, with the current construction process, a lot basically pushes a lot of that knowledge out of the build process. And we're right. not capitalizing on the, on the, on the, on the education and the knowledge and the, all of that. It's, it's really just silly. So I think we've got to relook at the way these projects are structured, the way the built world is structured and really start to come up with, you know, uh, maybe a different way of doing some things. And, and I think that's all about trust, right? You got to create trust. You know, it's like Pat Lencioni, you know, it's all about the five dysfunction of the team. You take that, whether it's your small team you have in your office, or you make it a construction project. The construction project is the business. Yeah. I'm the IT. My team works with that system, like, by the way. It's a business. So <laughs> let's create a team of healthy people all working towards a vision. And I think those owners, they just, I don't, I'm amazed they don't really understand. And I think maybe shame on us, the engineers, the MEP subs, you know, we're, we're kind of been quiet. We've been way too quiet because we've got a lot to say and we, we know a lot and we haven't been vocal enough. So, you know, I'm going to say it's Amy's job to make this happen, to get us all out there to start telling our stories because there's amazing stories and amazing knowledge in the, in the subcontract, especially, you know, I, I consider the building services. I mean, there's a lot of really great ideas that we're just not capitalizing on. Yeah. And, and that's what you got to do. You got to get it all on the table in the design phase. Because once the design is kind of three quarters done, it's not worth the effort for us to right. actually fight. Because what you're doing is now you're fighting the culture. You're fighting the system. It's not about, why don't you use a different valve anymore? It's about going to war for the better, for something better for the project. But you're like, well, why? It's too much work. Right. You know, it makes it harder. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, by the way, I, I, I have a very strong back. I'm, I'm going to, and my shoulders are broad, as we say in Jersey. Like, I can carry this. I can do this for you. And the, by the way, I also think it's not just like that knowledge. Like, I'm getting older. You know, we're all getting older. It, and we live in a world, it's so weird to say, like, I personally, I don't believe that things, look, there are enablers like lean but at the end of the day, lean doesn't mean prefab. You won't get lean if the behavior doesn't change. You will literally exclude prefab in some lean jobs that I've been on, right? So like, it's gonna all be about, we live in a culture where we have things at Autodesk that do machine learning, generative design, AI and algorithms, per parametric based design. And like, we're still talking about the guys that actually have the information. Could you just talk to them up front? I mean, like literally think about how crazy that sounds, right? It's like, I'm fighting to get you to sit at the table up front. When I have algorithms, I could take everything out of your brain and actually at a push of a button, figure out all the correct clearances of all the equipment that we have and test fit things in three seconds, right? It's like, that's crazy. We live in a different, and by the way, you want young people to come to this space. We need to start talking about things like connected BIM and generative design and industrialized construction and factory automation and 3D printing. That's how we're going to get people to come here. Not to like just push around, you know, not, by the way, and again, I grew up in this space. I think craftsmanship always belongs, right? But you want young people to come. They don't, they, they want to talk about machine learning, right? I, I agree hundred percent. I would say that because I work with a bunch of young folks around the country and, and, uh, and talk to them at, most of those, most of the folks that are in that category, right, or in that, or in that space, are very open to new ways of building things. They're very open to new ways of, of offsite construction, modernization, volumetric, the whole nine yards. And and even, and, and it's funny. We were on a um, call with a with a big engineering firm. They had about fifty, I think it was fifty or fifty five engineers from around the country, on this call. And we were presenting to them, along with some other folks. And and these are guys and girls of all different age groups, right? They're just looking for something that separates them out, something that makes them different, something that makes them special. And thank God they called and, and called us and got us on the on the on the cast, right? Because then we can tell the story and then they can tell the story, right? And it's right. finding that right niche of people and finding that right group of people that want to embrace it is it, such a huge, huge piece to make the same move forward. But I, I think I agree with what, what you guys are saying. That the, and I think the, the new guys and girls that are coming up in the industry are looking for that next challenge. They want to leave their mark on the industry, right? It's like at the end of the day, when we all retire and we go hang out at Bob's house, we're gonna sit around and talk about well, what'd you how'd you what did you leave on the industry, right? What do they remember right. you for, right? And it's not because I, I built some building. It's because we changed the way industry was done. Like, that's like that's our BHAG. That's in our corporate BHAG, Star Electric Company, to disrupt the industry as people have known it so far, right? Right. And so to be able to do that, be a part of that, is, is pretty special, right? So that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. 
That's why I came to Autodesk. I can honestly not make the mark I wanted to make and leaving this industry better than when I found it without, listen, I taught process for many years of how to integrate prefabrication, how to get guys like you and Bob at the front of the process. But at the end of the day, if you can't attach, attach tech to that, if you can't make it, part of our strategy is to make prefabrication just easier, period. We have to make things easier. And I've been saying that for years, right? It's like, we have to show you the correct pathways to enable these productization to make its way through the workflows so that you don't have to, it's, it can't be so hard. And that's part of the problem. Everyone's doing prefab these days now. If you don't think they are, they are. It's not a journey anymore. It's a race. If you're not doing it, you're not in first or even fifth, right? So at the end of the day, how do we attach tech that has an infinite ability to learn and grow and create and capture everything we're doing to make this better for my daughter who's 12, you know, when she gets in the space. And I feel like at the end of the day, you can't do that without tech. Right. And in order to do that, we have to, I need, I'm, this is almost like my call to action for all these amazing MEP subcontractors. I need you to be in this process of tech, not just get up there. And like you just said, like, there's probably two great ways to make skids. That's true. I need you to productize more and more things. And I need to create a connection to the design process for you. That's a real connected process now to make this easier for those two skids that you're going to make. But like, you've got to productize for me. You've got to become manufacturers for me. We've got to show that there's a value for that that can be shared across the productivity of the, of the ecosystem. Because it currently only lives with you guys. And it's weird. It's not like you're, I don't think you're doing it to be selfish. I think most of the MEP subcontractors I know are just humble. Like, honestly, they're just trying to like keep their businesses afloat and they've done this for survival. Right. And it's made them money. And that's why they're putting more money into it. But like, I need them to speak up. And that's why I called that article, the rise of the new manufacturer, the subcontractor. We need you. We cannot do this in this space without this part of the ecosystem stepping up. It has to. Right. I mean, what's interesting about Autodesk and, you know, and I think that, you know, the last, we kind of see this little mini change over the last seven years, this idea of contact, right? You know, construction technology, everybody's coming in, DC money out the wazoo. Everybody's pouring all this money in this thing. And I just sit there and I watch it. I'm like, tech is great, but if the process is broken, tech just makes the process worse. And if you talk to some contractors, half of them will tell you, yeah, when it's done right and the process, it's awesome. When it's not, it's a nightmare. It right. is actually harder to build jobs today when you try to apply construction technology to really our, uh, to this old process. It is a nightmare. And, and I said, you know, this is going to change because eventually companies like Autodesk, you know, only, they're going to say, you know something? We're going to fail without the, the subcontractor community, without getting the whole community on the data platform. It's right. not going to work. It just right. can't work because Autodesk products are designed centrally to be collaborative in nature and people collaborate. So if you lop off half the collaborators, then it, it just doesn't even work. So all this context, I mean, you're starting to see a lot of it, the stuff that's designed more around like subcontractor management and all those other things, they're losing their luster, right? Yes. Because they're not really solving the problem. And, and I think now is, I think people are starting to realize that. And I think, you know, even yourself going to Autodesk is kind of part of that movement. It's like, guys, you know, we got to start really looking at the process and then apply this amazing tech to a revised process. And then you're going to see the magic start to occur. But before right. you do that, it's just not going to happen. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. What, what's the low-hanging fruit to better uh, streamline and, and come up with a more effective process? I think, like, by the way, have you ever read uh, Dan Miller's Formula for Change? It's something that I've talked about a lot, right? It starts with dissatisfaction. First, okay. you, in order to change, you have to first be dissatisfied, right? And I feel like in this industry, you may have hit that point. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you need to have dissatisfaction, you need to have an understand a vision for what's possible. And you need in that formula, you know, the 
concrete first steps of action. And all of that has to be greater than resistance, right? That's how that formula works. I always say like, I'm constantly dissatisfied. That's just my nature. I'd like things to be better. I'm all about continuous improvement. Um, nothing to do with gender, FYI. But like, I feel like I'm all about just, I've always just been that person to make things better. The low hanging fruit, honestly, is to start talking about the fact that we have a problem and that these processes are not the same. Like, Bob, I love that you just said, like at a certain point, I'm like, it's over for prefab at that point. And I don't want to fight the war. It's like, really? Like, I get it. And I know why you're saying that. But then we've, I've got to fight harder for the war up front because honestly, it's like, that's awful. I never want that. I don't want anyone to ever feel like that. I need to, we need to fix the, fix the, we need to attack tech to new process and enable guys like you to do what you do best. Like I, I'm on a life's mission for that period. I, 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 it has to be, you know, I, I think you gotta start to, and I, I think this idea of human form, right. It's, you know, people want to be, this idea that people want to be cared for. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. I mean, there's some basic things that the people want. And when you take that and insert it in the typical construction process as a subcontractor, for the most part, you're not getting that. You're, you just don't feel it. So if we can find ways to, to really have much better communication. I think I really start educating the universe, this built universe on the realities of it because most people don't understand. I think right. most people think they need to understand because they're fearful if they don't understand then they're looked at not in the same light, but you can't possibly understand everything. Let's just break those walls down and let's, un let's, let's start sharing and communicating and creating this, you know, a more healthy environment um, and you know something, you know, maybe there'll be times where people won't do the same kind of work or you'll lose work or it's going to be different. It won't be worse, but, it, but it's going to be different. You can't be afraid of that difference um, to do that. And I think really it's your, you know, the, the owners have got to really start, they, they got to want to learn more about the realities of this business and why is it so unproductive? Why right. does it cost so much? Well, ask the questions and then actually listen to the answers. And then we can all maybe have those real conversations. But it's, it's, I don't find this to be a very complex issue. I think it's a complex. I think it's just people getting together and let's stop the crap, you know? Let's just start talking about stuff and working together. I always say for the owners, just because you push down risk doesn't remove risk. Just get involved in collaborating to remove risk. That's like, for me, it's half the question. It's like, ask these questions, understand it, talk about the constraints, remove those constraints co collaboratively, you know, together. You just can't write a contract and think that's not my problem anymore. I've just passed it off to the general contractor now. You can't. Well, well, well Dave knows. I mean, the end of the day, I mean, it costs money to cover risk. Right. <laughs> it costs money to cover risk. Every so day. it's costing the owners more money. Right. By you the way, know that. all that money, I don't know, Dave, you won't tell me the number. Think about, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Think in your head, the amount of money you put on contingency every year. Yeah. I want you to take that number and put it in your head. What if you didn't have to do that and you could spend that on innovation and R&D and digitization and automation? What impact would that have on your business if you didn't have to have that kind of money to cover the risk? It would create a world of different streams of revenue. I mean, honest to God, it's, there's things we sit around and dream up. Uh, there's things that we, different ways we look at things. I, I'll give you a perfect example. There was a job we had, a farmer job. And when the guy bought the building, the company bought the building, they bought it in the floodplain, right? Where they had this energy plant they wanted to put on the side of the building. Well, guess what? It's in the floodplain, so you can't put it there. I'm like, let's hang off the side of the building. They're like, can we do that? They're like, can we do that? And they started asking each other. I was like, why can't you do it? Let's figure it out, right? So if you, if you take that kind of adage, right, do whatever it takes to make the job work, and, but you take that same adage that you just had of being able to evolve back in R&D, then you get to play with those yeah. scenarios, right? And you get to do that and you get to show people, yeah, there's that old adage, what's always been doesn't always have to be, right? It, you, you get to bring that to life. And wow. uh, it, it would be, it'd be tremendous. I mean, if people's, the, the free thought process that would wrap around that and evolve that would be so just monumental. It would literally disrupt the whole industry. Right. right, and right now we're dead last on digitization, second to dead last for hunting and agriculture, which I often don't think is right. But so the reason we're dead last is not because we don't have the money. I always explain to people, it's not because our industry doesn't have the money. It's just in the wrong place. It's just in contingency. Yeah. It's covering risk that no one has unco uncovered to collaborate to remove. 
right? So That's we're right. all putting that money in. We're, and by the way, anytime you put money, it's like sending my daughter to the store with 20 bucks when she only needs five. She ain't coming back with 15. <laughs> like, I'm not getting 15 back. I can tell you that, right? So like, that's the thing. Like, we're just, we're spending our money in the wrong place. No offense to my daughter, Mackenzie. She's a very like frugal kid, but like, you know, any kid, any mom will tell you that, right? It's like, it's just common sense. We're not putting our money in the right place. So Dave, exactly right. what you were just saying sparked uh, what Amy had said a minute ago about getting the, the vision for what's possible. Yeah. Why is it so hard to get people to envision what's really possible in this industry and the benefits of prefabrication? Because it seems so abundantly clear if you just take a second to, to look at it. Because I, my personal thought is people are creatures of habit, right? They've been building things one way, their way, the entire year, their entire process. And they've had tremendous success at it, right? They've mm -hmm. had jobs that have been great. You never hear about the jobs that go bad, unless it was your job, right? <laughs> and, um, but, but they, they're creatures of habit and they, they like doing the same thing over and over again, right? Now, there's been a shift in that, some, some of that paradigm over the last couple of years where people have realized that, just like Amy said earlier, if they don't know what you're talking about, then they feel left out. And I'll never forget, what, there was a meeting I was at, and this was like four years ago, we are getting ready to do this big basketball arena, and I looked across the table at the general superintendent, and I was like, well, could we take electric rooms and modularize them? He goes, yeah, we do pre-job. I'm like, no, 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 we're not, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about building your entire room and slide it into your building and connecting the risers between the floor. And everything's already there. Panel's already labeled, you know, already out to the connection uh, box ready to roll. And you would have thought I was explaining to him how to build, uh, you know, Amy's car, right, piece by piece. It just, it was just like a foreign language. But since that time, like we just booked another job with the same company. And this guy's been on board from day one. He's like, I saw what you guys did at the arena. You did all this great work. He goes, I now I want you on this job. And it's, and it's a, you know, it's a 60 million plus dollar hospital, which is phenomenal, right? And so you, when you, when you tear down that wall, it takes people to try to trust you. you get, it gets back to what Bob was saying about trust too, right? If you, you can get those people to do that and trust you and give you a shot, or at least show them what you can do, right? Um, then chances are you got a pretty good shot at, at doing some more of it. But your, in your original question was, how do you get people to do that more, right? So it's also tearing down the silos of, of taking away from, from, from changing what they've always done to what, what they can do. Yeah. Did you ever read the book, It Takes One? It's one of my favorite books. And they I talk not, about, yeah, they talk about that. It's not even a new book, but like, um, they talk about the fact that it's really, like I go in front of like $9 billion companies these days and I'm like, you need to change your process. And they're like, we're a $9 billion company. Like we got here. We did yep. something right. And I'm like, I get it. But you realize like the environment changes, technology changes, labor changes, complexity changes, the world has changed. And you know what? We tend to do things that got us success in the first place. It's not necessarily going to continue that success. We know tons of companies that have gone out of business that were like, you know, $500 million electrical contractors, right? Like that are gone now, right? Yeah, overnight. So it's like, and I think they don't change because when things get difficult, the first reaction is let's just double down on what got us here. And unfortunately, what happens when you double down on what got you there, you're now digging a hole deeper for yourself because you haven't adjusted quick enough to change. So now you're in a worse situation and you never really did the new right thing, which takes, it does have a learning curve. And so now everybody else went through that learning curve when they decided to change and you're way behind and now you just can't compete. So that's what happens. And I think that's what's going on with prefabrication right now. You've got great contractors. And I love the fact, again, that you guys are not, you know, 9 billion, you know, euros here. Like you can make change. And sometimes it's easier when your company is family owned and not that big and you've got benevolent dictators that are all about learning, that want to change culture, that the culture, look, the head of the snake does the most damage. It's one of my favorite statements. Like, I want to work for Bob Snyder. I want to work for Dave Evans. Like, these are the kinds of guys you want to work for because they're making the ch changes. They're driving the initiatives and they are connected to that in their livelihood and their passions. But I think people don't change because they also recognize that um, they, they don't move fast enough. They don't see the threat or opportunity. They don't go far enough. But ultimately, I think they sometimes are afraid because they, they, they think they're, they don't have the skill set for it and they'll somehow work themselves out of a job. Like, mm -hmm. I think some of the guys in our space are like, well, if everyone does prefab, what's my role? Well, okay, let's morph you to something else. It's all about lean. We don't, we don't go to lean and then get rid of people. We repurpose them into better places to utilize them for better value. You know what I mean?
Todd, if, if, the, if the general construction industry would realize if they used what we all did for a living, they could do so much more. Because now instead of a job that's got 12 guys on it and girls on it, it's got four guys and girls on it. So you go two more jobs with four more guys and girls, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, like, you, literally, you literally take their team of people and you help them spread it out and get more business for themselves, right? That, like, right. That's, my, my, whole philosophy, my whole philosophy in business is if I help you build your business, you're going to help me build mine, right? right. So if, if, you, if you took that and you did that, and if they realized they could, could do more of what we do, I think it would be in, integrated more also. I've got one quick personal story to tell you too. We were down in Louisiana still, and it was me and a good friend of mine, and then um, Chris Giatina from, from Blocks, one of, uh, one of me and friend of mine. And, uh, and the guy was like, well, he started talking about, you know, what do you do, Chris? And they started talking. It was, and it's, it's, I love watching people talk, right? Because it's just, it's just fun to watch the whole dynamic. And it ended up, you know, and the guy goes, well, I don't think every, every job for, for prefab or every job for modular. And, uh, and, and Chris goes, well, well, tell me what that job looks like. Right. And the guy's like, well, I don't know. You're the expert. He goes, yeah, I am. And there's not a single job that wouldn't. He goes, well, you, and, the, and my guy who's also a buddy of mine, the, the buddy of mine who's also a general contractor. So all you guys is want my money anyway. Right. You just want more money than I make. And I'm like, oh my God, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole point. So we are able to save him later that night over dinner uh, yeah. I had a dinner with him and it's like man you're, you're so off base here with that statement because it's so not true and I think that's, that's part of the did. problem is, as well you know as people think that you're taking as Mr. Starr should say you're moving their cheese right and nobody likes your cheese moved right sorry that's, my that's, cheese. Other that's another book <laughs> yeah. that's one of my that's other right. it's a great book <laughs> one of my other favorite books the cheese by the way in construction it's almost gone there's like a nibble left just so we're all clear there ain't much Absolutely. left there's not much left. I mean, Mighty Mouse would need more than that, right? You know, it's, it, and by the way, 15 years ago, I was trying to think about this, how old I was when this happened. I went in front of one of the largest general contractors in the world, and I said, I can show you how to do more, more jobs faster with less people. And I swear to you, David, this is what the guy said back to me. And I want, and you all know who they are. You know their name. They're global. They said, why would we want to do that? Like, we oh make more money when things are longer and there's like, you know, people don't do what they're supposed to do and I make general conditions and I sh- and these jobs go on for a long period of time. Why would I want to do that? And I was like, what? Like, I actually didn't even quite understand the response, but that's changing now for most companies. By the way, that company, I know them still, they're not uh, huge on prefab, still they're, they're catching up now. They're in, the, they're in the chasing mode, not the leadership mode. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, uh we don't have that we cannot afford in our industry to have a cash for chaos mentality anymore you cannot you can't we know there's there's also i was going to mention this too there's there's a couple of contractors in that in that big world that big platform of contractors right that really get it um you know some of the guys and and i don't mind mentioning their names jacobs dpr whiting turner robinson morton those guys see past just hey i'm a concrete guy i'm a doors and hardware guy yeah like they see where the true benefit is and so they're, you know, Beck's another one, right? And so they start implementing prefab. They have like lean solutions, not lean solutions, but they, well, they call them like lean manufacturing principles on each job where they go in and try to find, hey, what can you prefab and what can you modularize and right. what can you do, right? What can you do offsite? Um, and so to see that, that shift, right? And they're, and they're putting money back into the system too. They're putting it in different realms. They're putting in AI, they're putting right. in robotics, they're putting it in uh, software, and so they're, they know it's a race to the finish as well, too. So these guys are still, and girls are still all doing it around the country, which is pretty refreshing to see, yeah. right? Um, so that's pretty cool to watch that, that transition as well, too. So it's, those are the guys that, that we love to work for and, and with all over the place. Yeah. I, Marty, Marty, Marty Hanchenko from Mortenson is the guy that taught me that phrase. Like, it's, it's not a journey anymore. It's a race. And that Absolutely. Was like, that's Every Marty day. four years ago, you know? Every day. I think you also have to understand your own industry, right? I mean, first place you got to start and all these things, you got to look in the mirror. And I think you have to, people have to understand most of our businesses were grown. The entire construction industry really was born out of the trades. And it's, you know, the trades are transactional. They build things. So to be asking all the time for them to be transformational without actually helping them along, I think is a little unrealistic. And in some ways unfair, you know, Someone doesn't want it. We had a conversation the other day with somebody. And I said, we want to try this new thing. He's like, well, why would we do that? You know, I mean, this has been working fine for 60 years. <laughs> you know, I mean, 60 years. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really, I mean, we didn't have anything in 60 years. And I never heard anybody say 60. And I heard like 20 years. But, but I mean, the reality is that's not his fault. And no. that's, he's just a product. So I think we got to be sensitive to that too. Yeah. You know, we, we got to help them along. It's, you know, it's fear-based. It's, 
very transactional. It's, you know, we had this whole COVID dilemma came around and I was asking, we had a problem. We were trying to go paperless and we still like printed some contracts out, right? So I've yeah. been talking for three years, you know, let's, we need to go, guys, how about DocuSign, hello? Yes. Like, what the heck, talking to people? We're like, oh, we'll get to it, it's working fine. But COVID is three days later, we're doing DocuSign for everything. They're like, wow, it's like, we're like fire drill experts. The construction trades and the service trades, you throw a problem at us that's transactional, miracle workers. So if you say we've got an issue that's not banging on you, that's not screaming at you, it's like pulling teeth to try to get that stuff done. And, yeah. and that happens all, all the time in so many ways, right? right. You know, we have this first responder mentality to save the universe. But when it comes to sitting and planning and strategizing and taking those same ideas and putting them to, to that use, it's just because it's very difficult. And I think it's, you know, so some ways we are our one worst enemy, but we're getting better, right? Yeah. We have done before. So we have to also grow and we have to be patient with our, um, because most of the time, like a trades guy, when you give them an iPad, you may feel the pushback initially, but once they are comfortable, they absolutely love it. Right. And they, and those guys, there's so many instances where they just blow you away. And it's, it's amazing how excited they get when it comes to, adopting these things you just got to be a little patient with them and 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 help them along the journey because they all of a sudden become your best cheerleaders in, the, in this whole innovative process right i'm with you on that one i feel like look uh, i can only be so patient though bob like i've been doing <laughs> <laughs> I, my patience my patience is a little thin now <laughs> Because look, at the end of the day, you know what, if you think about it from a global perspective, what you just said, we're great at solving problems. Right now, one of the things, actually in that book that I just mentioned, if you don't recognize that we have a real problem right now, you are blind. Like the whole, even with the who moved my cheese, we have a labor issue, we have a complexity issue, we have a supply chain management with materials, global supply chain issue. We've got real issues here that are gonna put a dead stop. By the way, I used to say in my industry, I'm like, because I used to ship buildings across the world, that were highly technical. And I'm like, you know, how long does it take before somebody starts shipping buildings here to the US? And they're like, oh, that'll never happen. And I'm like, yeah, until it happens, which it does now all day long. They ship high rise buildings in New York City and in LA, and they're not coming from being built in the US. And like, same thing goes for Australia, they're being shipped from other places. And the same thing goes for London, they're being shipped from other places. And so we have, I think part of this is that we just failed to see sometimes in our industry that they're at this point now, we are at a real problem. We are at a, we are at a, you better put your problem solving hat on because if not, none of us will exist. And by the way, look, I, I, I would say that we're probably more at risk from the big platform owners in the world of wanting to take over our tiny little, you know, what do most people make two and a half percent construction management fee industry with infinite downside the little bits that we're making in money and revenue in these projects compared to enabling platforms for cities that don't exist in Africa right now, guess what? Your two and a half percent ain't nothing. They will take you, they will wipe you off the face of the earth because we are not building fast enough with, you know, prefabricating and complexity and digitizing. We will be gone. And I feel like I've been saying that for a long time and it's happening now. That's what you want to know why construction, all these big companies put money in contact because we're not good at this and they know that. And they'd like us not to be here if possible to basically leapfrog over us. Look, you want to be really afraid? Look at Africa. Africa is about to get all this subsea capacity pumped into the, into the, into the um, continent by people like Google and Facebook right now. And they're going to have tons of capacity pumped into that, that continent. They have very little legacy infrastructure in that continent. You think they're going to start with our antiquated infrastructure or you think they're going to have something much better than ours? Like they're not going to start with what we have. Like that's not happening. They don't, they don't care about stepping on anybody's toes in the sense that like nothing there existed. So we, that's going on right now, literally. And, and I feel like sometimes we just, again, who moved my cheese? We're a little bit like, I just want to make sure that my one project hits the budget is on time and has good quality. Well, what? We're not going to exist on the planet anymore. Like that won't matter. We're rearranging. Sometimes I feel like deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, like we have to be a little bit cautious, right? And recognize the risk. Todd, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> We've sort of blown your mind. <laughs> that, was, that was great. My next uh, question was going to be uh, for you unpacking your, your keynote at MVP for. So 
Uh, yeah. I don't have a smooth transition into that. that was- <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. I will, uh, the reason I wanted Bob and, and, and David to be here, and I really do, again, like MEP force is really important to me, as well as the industrialized revolution with, you know, myself, the queen of prefab, because this is happening. This is an industrialized revolution right now. And these are the warriors that have been fighting it for 20 years. And it really does live with the MEP subcontractor. Um, the, a lot of this knowledge base, a lot of where the risk lives, a lot of where the value in these projects are, where the complexity lives, a lot of the understanding of the right process and utilizing the right tech and the right tools to create a seamlessly integrated process and a real connected um, supply chain to that as well, so that we are really looking at a more product-led based you know, industry, a B2B industry in, in that, that world. That's why I really love this conference. And I really feel like it's a great place to come and exchange ideas. We're also doing like, for the first time I'm doing like a, I think I'm also doing a, um, a meet and greet, like a quiet meet and greet networking after the fact, kind of cool little like, you know, invite only thing afterwards where you can get time with me and with some of the other great subcontractors. Right. Yeah. I think that's, we need that. We've got it. Look, if you, if you, if you don't realize like I do, I'll say this. It's a gift when I get to sit with Bob Snyder and Dave Evans for myself, right? Like it's a gift for me to feel, first of all, nourished in my soul that there are other people that think about these things that like I do up at night in the middle of the night. And secondly, that are coming up with real solutions on a, on, in a reality type way, right? Like we all have to make money. And I always say, again, I'm a capitalist first and foremost. So it's like, we've got it. But at the end of the day, I'd like to be a capitalist in a world that still exists, right? Like I can't be a capitalist if my, if my, my society and my ecosystem is wiped off the face of the earth. So I'm really excited about the keynote because I feel like, again, it's your time as an MEP subcontractor to really, this is your time. You know, this is what it's all about. This is what we, I want to shine a light on, you know, the, the, the humble, sort of unsung heroes, the guys like that are out there have been doing this for years and years, right? I mean, that's that's what this is gonna be all about. These are the guys that are really making change and seeing the value in the industry at the moment. You know, I, I used to, you know, 30 years ago when I first got in the business or maybe even longer now, you know, when construction managers sort of didn't exist, right? There were more GCs. And, you know, the end of the day, the GCs became the CMs. And why did that happen? Because they were great salespeople because they were better communicators. They weren't like, in the end, that was their time. And I think that now it's time for us to use our voice and tell our story because not only are they great stories, the people who are telling them are great people. We have great, great, wonderful people in our industry who span from, you know, apprentices in trades who with great, great stories to, you know, whether it's engineers or it doesn't really matter, just this vast number of diverse individual diverse knowledge and just super great people that we got to start capitalizing on all that that greatness yeah. and get it into this built world if, if you want it to change so you know things like MEP force certainly our, our our lovely queen of prefab uh telling her story every day and, and, and i think we've heard a lot about this over the last few years and i'm excited about it because i feel like it is our time and and it's not our time as in my time or the MEP guy's time. It's our time as an industry, an entire construction industry, to finally say, guys, you know, we are really special. You know, we're better. You know, you talk about Google, you talk about programs, you talk about all these other industries. What about our industry? It's magnificent. It is the greatest learning industry, the most diverse industry, some of the smartest people, diverse smarts. Life learning, There's, this is the greatest industry there is. So let's start acting and, and, and telling our story because I think the, the whole built world is gonna really change and it deserves that. You know, it doesn't deserve to be living, uh, living in the past as sort of a second tier um, you know, industry. It's yeah. not top tier. We are the premier industry there is. Without us, there is no world, right? So it's pretty important. Love it. I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, I love that, you. Bob. What a gift. <laughs> thank you all so much for, for joining. I hate to, to cut the conversation off at just an hour. This was great. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. And thank you to those listening. Make sure to sign up for MEP Force at MEPForce.com to hear Amy's keynote on August 31st. You also will get access to over 75 plus breakout sessions and virtual networking with leaders of the MEP industry. Use promo code BTG99 to register for only $99.
If you're interested in learning any more about what we talked about, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASDI.com for more information. You can also listen to this podcast by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Enjoyed the episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyan, produced by Alyssa Chartier, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.